0: get ready to rumble on a tale of two rivals
1: welcome back to our podcast who is joining me today dave ff underscore spaceman right and i am ready to rumble todd i'm ready to get down get dirty with tonight's uh topic and, you know, throw some elbows, you know, maybe uh, a low blow if I need to, if I need to get a slip a point under the belt. I'm ready to go all out. No hold barred tonight. I'm ready to get down. Let's do this on a tail Two Rivals. Enough with the pleasantries. You strike me as the guy whose go-to move is below the belt. Uh, that's not true. That's like your main move. I am a headbutter. I will headbutter. A headbutter.
0: A headbutter. Anyone else ready for some fisticuffs?
2: Oh yeah, you got... Sean at FF underscore walrus coming at you, too. Definitely buying that Dave's move is below the belt. I also think he's a big fan of the distract the referee tactic. (laughs) Distract the referee tactic. So it's like a tap him on the shoulder, point to somebody in the crowd, and then turn around and kick the other wrestler in the crotch. No, no. 100%. But it seems like we're not acknowledging that. I think Dave is the only one with practical wrestling experience out of the three of us
1: yeah let's let's just,
2: yeah, but he has no history of wrestling, like
0: behind him, Well, my bad. he is he does not understand the history of wrestling
2: fake wrestling Dave no I don't. is a seasoned wrestler though when it comes to fake
0: mashed potatoes. He doesn't even re- wrestle in real mashed potatoes. Oh, they're don't instant don't fool mashed you. potatoes. they're they're instant mashed potatoes. That's I a have a crucial whole... parts
2: of this story that's never been told. I have
0: I have video evidence in an interview of this. Are you
1: guys telling me that you expect people to? For a wrestling ring filled with mashed potatoes, people to peel all those potatoes? No, no. Because so, you have to no. peel
2: them. Who wants clumps oh, of
1: skin in their mat in the true. wrestling part? No, thank you. That makes it no, 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 no.
2: No, no. That's what you're concerned about? Is the fluidity of these potatoes while you're down there <laughs> wrestling?
1: And there's a little bit more watery with those instant potatoes and, and it has a better splash radius into the crowd. The crowd goes crazy when Someone gets body slammed in these potatoes, and and, and stuff goes in the crowd. It's, it's a highlight of the, of the event. Talk about a free lunch. Do they have special masters
0: like loaded mashed potatoes, where it's like there's like, <laughs> there's like cheddar cheese and sour cream and like bacon just flying everywhere?
1: That was actually that's a really funny idea. Actually, you could really get creative with that. <laughs> Twice baked mashed potato wrestling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it, <laughs> love it, gentlemen. I feel like it's time for the question of the day.
2: Every week, we're kicking it off with a different question, and tonight, to get those mind-dudders utters it is, what is the most overrated movie of all time, in your opinion? I'll kick this one off, and it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That movie does not
0: hold up well whatsoever. The only thing that truly holds up well to me in that movie is the Ben Stein, Bueller, Bueller, I can't do Ben Stein's voice but it's a solid gift when nobody's responding. The whole movie is about a spoiled well-off kid who can't accept life after high school while constantly causing his best friend to have an anxiety attack for his own gain. Ferris is kind of a jerk with a charming factor. That's pretty much it. Acting's fine. Storyline's pretty entertaining, but it's not like anything amazing by any means. I like it. It's a solid movie. I'll give it a seven. But sevens are not classics, and people treat that movie like it's a classic, and it's that huge nostalgia factor. It it just doesn't hold up well for me.
2: Todd, what do you think of the analytical plot point that Ferris Bueller isn't real? Have you ever seen that analysis of the movie? I have. Buying it? Selling it?
0: I'm selling it. Definitely checking it down. That is not what this is. I don't think John Hughes gets that deep. Uh, (laughs) He's a man. (laughs) I think John Hughes kind of like stayed in the whole idea of teen life. Didn't really think about imaginary characters too often.
2: I, I'm not buying that at all. That's fair. I'm not buying it either. Because where's the girlfriend come into it? Truth. right? Truth.
0: Exactly. Like I said, though, I'm not saying I dislike the movie. The topic was most overrated movie. This movie is not a classic. If I did John Hughes movies, it's not cracking my top three. That's for sure. Now, what about
2: you, Sean? What you got? So for me, it's in that same vein. I'm pretty down and out on all the John Hughes movies, to be honest with you, across the board. But Breakfast Club takes the cake Oof. because i think it is just a shamelessly pandered message that the movie doesn't even bother to try and hold up you know they spend this whole time going through Oh, they hate each other he's the jock he's the she's the basket case he's the criminal this kid's the nerd she's the prom queen and then they have this big cathartic moment where they all get stoned and have that cliche john hughes obligatory wanton destruction scene where they destroy the library <laughs> Then they all hang out, and Molly Ringwald does her makeup with her boobs. And then, like, everything's cool. But then you know what happens? They all go back to being the same people anyway, and they make the nerd write the essay. It's like they can't even stick to their newfound morals and beliefs longer than the detention that made them find it. It's like somebody reformed in prison committing robbery before they get to the other side of the fence where people are picking them up. It's like they try and mug the guard on their way out the door. I like The Breakfast Club. I appreciate the pick. I do think that
0: in terms of like dialogue and being quotable, I feel like that movie is significantly better than the Ferris Bueller. The one thing I love what you said is how it's pandering. I avoided using the word pandering. I saw your pick and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I'm going to let Sean have that. Let's just be honest. The 80s was about pandering. Oh, yeah. So like, Sean, he was kind of like nailed the decade. This is how you pander to an audience. So I like it. I like the choice. Uh, so I guess we are not the biggest fans of John Hughes. No. I mean, I like John Hughes,
2: but did he do Better Off Dead? He did. Yeah, yeah. I liked dead. that movie. I thought that movie was excellent. Yeah. That's probably the best out of all of them because he had that weird science. Better Off Dead, or he wrote, he wrote off Home dead, Alone. Ferris Bueller. He wrote. He did do. He wrote home, home,
0: alone. home Alone. He wrote Home Alone. Christopher Columbus. Is uh, that his name? I think his name was Christopher Columbus. Uh, corrected it. Dave, what was yours, man?
1: My movie is Argo. Uh, I was really excited for it. I, I was really big into movies at the time when it came out. I was really into the Academy Awards, and it got a lot of buzz. Ben Affleck was in some really solid movies at the time. I was really excited for Argo, and I remember I was like, oh, I'm, I didn't get to see it in theaters, so I bought it when I felt like in- Amazon Instant Video was a newer thing back then. And I was like, oh, I'm going to use it. I'm going to buy Argo. I'm so excited. I haven't watched it since. Okay, it was okay acting. Yeah, the acting was fine. They, they did their jobs. They 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 were believable. But the dialogue was eh. The politics was just, they didn't do a very good job really highlighting and accentuating the politics of the situation. And it was just a forgettable movie. I, I'm, I'll i never see it again. It was just a forgettable movie. And it got a ton of buzz. Like, is it a best picture? It was nominated for best picture. Did it win?
0: Yeah, I, I actually agree with you, Dave. I saw that. I was super excited. I feel like this is a time where you and me were starting to become like pretty good friends. and We were both really the movies at the time. Yeah, I felt the same way about Argo. I mean, like I said, it was solid. But yeah, it was a disappointment for sure. Guys, ready to get into the topic?
2: Let's do it. Yes, sir.
0: On our last episode, we were talking about late round QBs. So on this episode, we are talking about late round tight ends. So it's a new common draft philosophy. Players are waiting until later and later in the draft to take their tight end. So are you guys actively targeting Kittle or Kelsey in your drafts?
2: Sean? No, I'm not. I think there's too much value to be had up there where they're going in the second round, the third round. You're still nabbing starting bell cow running backs at that point. You're nailing top top 10, top 20 receivers at that point. And I just think for a onesie position where you're one bad hit away from not only losing your tight end one, but the same spot where you could have gotten your RB2, your wide receiver one, your RB1, something that has huge implications for the remainder of your season and you can't just go to the wire and replace them like you can at tight end, the risk is not certainly worth the reward there. I'm out on it. Nothing against those two guys. They are fantastic. They're hands down the best at the position. But for me, I'm just, I'm not willing to roll the dice. The juice is not worth the squeeze.
0: All right, so I respect that, Sean. I'm going to go the opposite direction on that, though. I'd consider it. By that point, you've probably invested in the stud running back in the first round. You could dominate that position in tight end and then target an RB2 in the third, There's a huge advantage of having one of those guys on your team as long as you're drafting accordingly after that selection. David?
1: I'm in the minority when it comes to Kittle, and I have to come clean about it, guys. I'm a hypocrite when it comes to George Kittle. I arbitrarily am applying an injury narrative to him and not to other players. (laughs) I just can't shake it. So I've criticized Todd for this countless times, and I've criticized people in the community, but I'm sticking to it with Kittle. His play style worries me. And it's not because I don't think he's a good or all-around great tight end. He is so physical, and the way he creates yards after the catch reminds me of early Rob Gronkowski. You hold your breath every time someone comes up from behind, or he takes a hit over the middle of the field. And there was three or four times last season where you where you thought that was it for George Kittle. But, you know, he was toughed out, and he played through it, and then you think, okay, well, he's going to get stuff taken care of in the offseason, like a torn labor or whatever he has. Oh, but no, I don't want to do it because it's going to affect my lifting routine. Like, okay, I understand that's really like fun to root for a guy like that. But as a second round pick and redraft in a onesie position or late second round pick? No, thank you. And it's a position that is historically shown to be more injury risk than other positions? I'm out. And it's not just injury type because I know that's a big part of it. But actually, there's a part of it too that I've talked about a little bit before in the past. And it's that they San Francisco doesn't use him right. They don't target him in the red zone enough. They, why is he not the primary go-to option all the time in the red zone? Why isn't he the first option a lot more often in the passing attack? Why is he always the dump-off option in the flat? Why do they rely so heavily on his yards after the catch? It's frustrating, and he only averaged 49 air yards per game, 25 less air yards per game than Travis Kelsey, 13 or 12 or 13 less than Zach Ertz, who's the boring low-A dot QB or tight end, blah, blah, blah. So George Kittle, I really like him, and I feel people are letting their... The, how much they enjoy watching him play and how much of an all-around tight end he is get into people's heads about how great of an actual tight end he is for fantasy purposes and how he separates from other tight ends. Because, I mean, didn't Ertz score more points than him last season? Maybe in a 14-team league when there's just that much more value in having a separator at the tight end position, I would think about Travis Kelsey. But besides that, I'm out. No, thank you. I'd rather play the mid to late tight end game.
0: Are you a doctor? yeah uh,
2: i mean i mean you 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 could predict injuries like that oh okay dave okay dave nope it sounds like dave went to that same medical school as ross geller and that they're both doctors (laughs) in the same kind of way i hey i said i was a hypocrite here (laughs) i admitted
1: it. i called it out you guys oh todd you didn't catch me here i start off by saying i was a hypocrite
0: hey man i can still lace into you about it because i've taken plenty about this before not
1: when i own it you can't
0: all right, so we knocked out the two studs. So now we're going middle round tight ends. Kelsey, Kittle, gone. We're outside of them. There's 12 tight ends that are going before the end of round 10. You have Mark Andrews in the third round. You have Ertz in the fourth. You have Waller in the seventh. You have Ingram, Henry, Gronk, Cook, Hooper, Higby, Fant, all going between seven and 10. Are you targeting any of these mid-round players, are you holding off until the later rounds? Sean, what are you thinking, buddy?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely holding off. You know, if I've already gone so far as to look off Kelsey and Kittle, I'm totally punting the position. I'm setting up for the late-round buys and the streaming options. Because last year, the ADP for, the tight end, for a tight end one was round 12. So behind where all of these guys are going, and these guys on this list, Andrews, Waller, Higby, they were all outside of it. Of the top 12 last year. Most all three of them probably went, or not Andrews, but Waller might have gone undrafted. Higby certainly went undrafted. Gronk wasn't Higby. even playing football. And I think if you if you look historically back through 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, the amount of fluidity that goes into mid tight end one finishes that you know you get beyond Kelsey, you get beyond Kittle. A couple of years ago it was getting beyond Ertz, too. That like three to four through tight end seven or eight round, when it's only separated by maybe 35 to 50 points, it's not the same group of guys. You got the Trey Burtons who show up once and then die. The Eric Ebrons who hop on and off like it's a merry-go-round. It can't stay consistent. And I think investing capital, assuming it is, is foolish. And you're never really going to be able to balance it out. And I think where you really get ahead with this is taking guys like Andrews, who was going at like round 13-ish last year. Waller, who was going later. Trying to identify those guys the year before they break out. That's where you get ahead. Because also included in those mid-round tight ends per ADP last year, OJ Howard, bust. Evan Ingram, huge injury. Hunter Henry, on and off the field. Eric Ebron, totally disappeared. David Njoku, Dave, if I can whisper a sweet nothing to you, what did he do last year? Nothing,
1: nothing. Nothing
2: at all. Vance McDonald? Is anyone even talking about Vance McDonald right now? Sleeper. (laughs) (laughs) Todd just now going to whisper the rest of the episode. (laughs) Uh, Most of these guys never deliver on their draft capital. I think where you really win this position is figuring out who's got the potential, like a guy like Andrews, but doesn't have a lot standing in his way when – He had Hollywood Brown last year as like their only receiver. And if you look through the stats, right, he's their leading target by a lot. Darren Waller leading the Raiders by a lot. This is how you identify these players. You look at who's going to be the next Kelsey, not who is in that same position, who doesn't have anything standing in their way, which I'm out on Darren Waller this year entirely because he showed he's got game. And he's fantastic, but they drafted a million wide receivers. What are the odds that he's going to get 117 targets this year? It can't be good. And that's not something I'm willing to spend a seventh round pick on to get instead a wide receiver four, a running back four, and really start to shore up the core of my team. So I'm out. I'm passing on Kelsey and Kittle. I'm certainly passing on these mid-round guys. And I'm, I'm holding off till the end. There's nobody in there that can change my mind. David?
1: Sean does a really great job basically outlining why people should be going late round tight end. The value that you can have when you hit on those late round tight ends, you cannot get that value really anywhere else in in drafts. So People talk about oh how awesome Kelsey and Kittle are, but Mark Andrews had a higher win rate when you look back at drafts last year. People who drafted Mark Andrews had a higher win rate than people who drafted Kittle and Kelsey. So Sean does a really good job outlining that and just the volatility here. And then even if you miss, because the only thing that Sean didn't really bring up is it is is a long shot, but similar to our late round QB discussion last week, streaming the tight end position is very doable because if you get a touchdown, that's a top 12 week basic essentially. So you can play the matchups and try to capitalize on tenants. Sean did a really good job outlining why you shouldn't do it here. That being said, that's a very popular opinion. A lot of people have these similar feelings about tight ends. And I think it's split pretty evenly down the middle. Maybe it's 60-40. As you can tell, all three of us kind of lean that way. So I think it is a popular strategy to have. I want to say that Andrews is a guy that I would like to target because he had, I believe he had fifty less than 50% of the snaps last year in Baltimore and still was amazing. Just the idea of that untapped potential makes me think that he's not being priced as ceiling and that he could reward you more. But the problem is, is that where the players going around him, they're sure things. So that's why I, I ultimately will look off Andrews, but I'm closely monitoring the Ertz situation. Sean knocked Ertz a little bit, and I mentioned it earlier about how Ertz is better than people think he is in the metrics that matter, like air yards and, and target share and snap share. Ertz is there; he's still doing it, and people are are letting their dynasty biases creep in because of the letting it, the contract situation is. But you keep hearing about they're renegotiating; they're going to have a new deal soon, and everyone constantly, like Todd, is hyping up Glassjaw, Dallas Godert. <laughs> It was a sucker punch. Glass jaw got it. You, you would have been out cold. <laughs> oh, he, he got rocked. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's hyping him up, and it's not an either-or thing in Philly, which people want to make it. People are like, oh, God's going to overtake him. I don't think so. Ertz is the man there. But last night in a keeper draft and factoring keepers, I got him at the end of the sixth round. That was really good value, and that's why I'm muttering Ertz, because those biases that we're talking about, because people do hate on Ertz. And he's not as old as people think he is. And I think people could be sleeping on Waller a little bit. He he was terrific last year with no supporting cast. So you could say, well, that kind of maybe gave him more targets. That's not really how targets work uh, because they're earned. It's not like, oh, I guess you're just going to get, you don't just get handed you targets because there's no one else around. So Waller, if he's as good as Gruden is hyping him up to be, and he has more weapons, more red zone opportunities, a better offense this year. It's interest. That could be interesting because he has the athleticism and he's done it. He's intriguing, especially in the seventh round. If I mean, who am I going to take? Deontay Johnson or Darren Waller? I, I might be convinced of taking uh, Waller there, but I, I'm i still, I've passed on him every chance I had. So I, I'm, I'm tempted. And then I have taken flyers on Gronk. Gronk has the idea of him not being bracketed every single time like he was in New England, no matter what, is intriguing to me. He has Godwin and... Evan's there to take the load off, and it, it's intriguing. So I really think Gronk has some upside to him. And then if I miss, I will miss him. I stream. Not a big deal. But his upside, oh gosh, if he hits and if he shows anything. And then Hooper, who's at the tail end of this, he was really good before he was injured last year. New situation. People are like, oh, well, Cleveland's going to run the ball 99 times out of 100 next year. That's not necessarily the case. Those two tight end sets that they're going to be playing out of is very advantageous for tight ends hooper can feast he's a good there was a top tight end free agent signing he's falling the double digit rounds at times i like the idea of hooper but if i don't if i don't like the value in the draft it's okay i can just take a guy later that's the beauty of tight ends i mine for value i don't find it eh, no big deal i just hit someone later
0: so i think the uh, the one thing that you decided to just absolutely just blast dallas goddard over which is hysterical to me that you do <laughs> realize he finished a tight end one last year right he was a tight end 10
1: jason finished finishes a tight end one last year
0: but I'm just yeah, saying he that, had another guy <laughs> that's, that's a tough who was his backup. To me, I just feel like Goddard is eventually going to eat into Ertz's target share.
1: Maybe he can win a battle with, with Greg Ward. You're right, Todd.
0: So you guys honestly don't see a world where Dallas Goddard could go over Zach Ertz. You guys have you guys actually watched Goddard play? He's pretty
2: phenomenal. This is barring any kind of injury to Zach Ertz. Just they're both. Well, I'm not a, I'm not year. a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Well, I'm not saying I you're can't. a doctor. I, I, I'm just
1: saying you're I can't predict a
0: scenario, scenario here. Unless it's George Kittle, I can predict an injury there.
1: See, Todd, this is a classic sophist strategy. Todd is skewing <laughs> the Fox News argument. He takes <laughs> an argument and he twists it and turns it into something else. That's not what we're saying. He said, Sean's basically saying, you need an injury for Goddard to overtake Ertz. That's what Sean's saying. He's not saying that he's predicting an injury.
0: I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that Dallas Goddard is that good of a tight end that I could totally see that situation working out differently.
1: And Zach Ertz isn't good?
0: No, I think Zach Ertz is good. But that's the problem is that they're both so good and Goddard's ascending and Ertz is descending. At one point, they're kind of kind of meeting in the middle and somebody's going to eventually just overstep somebody and step down.
1: Is Zach Ertz descending in his play? Is he descending?
0: Yeah, yeah, she is.
1: He absolutely is. Yeah, I don't
0: is. know. Go look at the numbers, man. I mean, he. I mean, I'm not saying that he's bad, but he means he's still... A solid, I think, at the end of the sixth round is a totally phenomenal way of getting his value. But I think that you are drastically underestimating how good of a player Dallas Goddard is. When you're watching George Kittle so closely last year, I was watching Dallas Goddard very closely last year because he's on my team. I would say that that whole Ertz situation with Goddard, I think that you're you're feeling like Ertz has his stronghold, but as if like Goddard's just a backup. Ertz is going to be out of that team as soon as they possibly can get rid of him. You know, because Goddard is that good.
1: Six less receptions than Travis Kelsey, in one less game played. He was second in air yards, tied for second in target share. Uh, yeah, everything that matters, Zach Ertz is still uh, top three, t- top three or four tight end man. He's not fading.
0: That's not what I was saying. The point was, you're saying is he said he, he was de-
1: he was said he was descending, man. He he was not descending last year. Direct quote.
0: My whole point is just saying that he has he hasn't been as good as he was in the past, and a, a, he had a very good year last year. But my whole point is that like. He's not what he was like two years ago. You know what I mean? And I think that Dallas Goddard's moving on his way up, and he hasn't had any competition like that. There ain't nobody else to throw the ball. You got him throwing Rieger, too. They also drafted a million wide receivers. I don't know. I mean, I get the whole idea that Ertz is a pretty solid at the end of the sixth round. I would probably pass. I would take DeAndre Johnson there, no doubt, easily. But I get it. Waller, I agree with you on. I would be tempted, but I would eventually pass. Nice job on Honeypot, Dave congratulations <laughs> i forgot to <laughs> say honeypot
1: i forgot to say it
0: uh you didn't say it that's terrible so yeah dave in the show notes made a honeypot reference he didn't even, he, you weren't confident you got too much anxiety and you, you would not pull the line
1: i was enjoying my my glass jaw coming too much his honeypot <laughs> yeah, reference
0: was a
2: honeypot yes
0: it was uh i've actually yeah i was getting Gronk earlier in drafts i liked him a lot i actually was drafting him a lot of startups just as like my tight end this year and figure out what happens later hoop i agree with so yeah, I like that. But I'm out on all these guys. I'm I'm not drafting mid round. Like Sean nailed it. There's so much value at the end of the drafts that I'm just gonna load up on running backs and wide receivers. And what Dave says all the time, but yet he's deciding not to bring it up in this conversation is that you're gonna make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So that's why you're loading up on your wide receivers and your running backs in those situations. That's why you take, you know, Johnson over Waller in that situation. You know, you screw up another pick, you have that kind of depth to support you.
1: For the record, I did take Deontay Johnson there, so <laughs> Yeah. in the seventh round, I took Deontay really Johnson to keep her depleted.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with Sean. I'm waiting till late rounds. So now that we said that we're going to be waiting till the late rounds, you've looked off the first 12 tight ends. You're going to the 13th round. At this point, your starting roster, your primary backs are all locked in. Who are you looking at for a tight end in the final three rounds and why? What about you, Dave?
1: So this is an obvious one, and I think it goes underlooked except among our friends here. But my number one target is late round tight end Taysom Hill. Of course. I like him so much that I actually recommend people draft him in the first round of drafts.
0: This is crap. He does not have tight end eligibility on Sweeper, <laughs> but he should. The fact he doesn't have tight uh, you know, I'm tweeting Sweeper later. That's going to have to happen. How have I not
2: done that yet? So all right, moving on. I had to make
1: that dig. That's the last time I'll well, maybe
2: not. I don't know if I'll make no, that dig in no. the future. This has a lot of mileage to it, Dave. Don't don't tap out. Yeah.
0: Of that. <laughs> if I do well in that league with him as my first round pick, that's that's magical. I, I think
1: that just will build to the legend that is Todd Foster. So I we're doing you a favor, Todd. I'm already pretty
0: legendary, so yeah, let's let's keep going.
1: So Gasecki, I can't believe he's going outside the top twelve tight ends. I think maybe it's my dynasty bias creeping in so I, I just find that surprising, but that being said, even when I'm thinking that I want to go late round tight tight end, I've had trouble landing Gusecki, I just haven't been able to get him because he is a popular guy, uh, I and I have heard a lot of criticism of him, you know, that uh, Chan Gailey doesn't really use tight ends in his offense, he, Kaseki uh, doesn't really do anything after the catch, he he didn't have a single broken tackle, or maybe just one broken tackle all of last year, he, and yada yada, and I, I don't really bite. I think Kaseki's a, He can go up and get it, has an amazing catch radius and is a special player. And if he and Fitz loves him, they're like best friends off the field. I'll start tight ends. The thing with tight ends, it's fun is you can start spinning narratives however you want because it's such a crapshoot. You can start talking about how, you know, Gusecki's going to Fitzpatrick's house for Thanksgiving dinner and how that's going (laughs) to, that's the exciting part of the late round or late round tight end. But anyway, I'm off track here. The way that he eats up yards in the middle of the field, down the seam. And I think he has the ability to play, his the athleticism to play out the slot too. And, and that'll be fine in, in Changeli's offense. He does have that kind of ability where he can project as a top five, 10. And I don't, I don't think he really does it. I think he's more of a tight end eight or nine, but he, do, I think he does have that potential. So I just, I had trouble landing him. And I am, and you guys have known this. I think is that I've been crazy for John O. Smith. I was, high, I drafted him. I was a target of mine in leagues. When he first came to the league, I loved, I, I was obsessed about him. And I don't know what he has to do to earn more opportunity in Tennessee. He's a crazy efficient with his opportunities. Rabel will not give him the ball. Rabel talks about how much he loves Jonu. Oh, Jonu's awesome. Rabel, if he's so good, stop giving the ball 45 times at Derrick Henry and try to win some football games in a different, more creative way and throw the ball at Jonu and A.J. Brown more, please. And that's the problem with Jonu Smith is and that's why he's a late round guy, is because I I think the worry for volume is there. That offense, I'm very worried about it. But if if he ever does get that volume, he's I think he's a lock for a top five tight end. But the problem is the volume part. It's as unlikely he gets the volume to do it. And TJ Hawkinson, I think the injury buzz out of camp is keeping him is going to keep his price down. But he's an uber talented tight end. I still I think he's better than Fant. Still, I really think he has he's just going to be a great tight end. But the problem with him is, is it's going to be this year. And then my fallback fallback plan for late round tight end is um irv smith jr i don't think this is his year but if i just i have really bad luck he showed some really promising things and some of what i was saying about cleveland and stefanski is that two tight end offense in minnesota leaves a lot of production for tight ends so i'm really interested to see what irv smith can do i think we might i tried to acquire him a dynasty i couldn't do it not available i think he's interesting so those are kind of some names for me guys
0: Ah, you inquired about Irv Smith and Dynasty, as did I. And yeah, that conversation went nowhere. Dave had two of mine. My two guys are TJ Hawkinson and Mike Kosecki. So uh, with Hawk, his stock plummeted after what was recognized as a subpar rookie season, which I don't necessarily agree with that. We all know that tight ends take a little bit of time, but he actually had a monstrous first game, and then he was getting some decent reps in there. He was playing hurt. So I thought for a first year, it was fine. He had some injuries, and he had just an absolute dreadful quarterback carousel once uh, Stafford went down. So he's a special talent. He's currently the uh, 13th tight end off the board. Uh, at points, like I'm seeing him going as early as the 10th round, which to me is too early, but he is a strong candidate for a tight end one, I'm probably looking at him in the 11th. If there's really not a like a wide receiver or a running back that I'm really high on, or if I haven't, or if I already picked my quarterback. So I really like Hawkinson in the 11th round. If I feel good about other, I think that Hawk just has all the talent in the world to eventually break out. And I feel like year two could be a good possibilities next year. So again, like we talked about too, is that you miss on that pick, it's low risk, high reward. And Gusecki is somebody I go back and forth with on Hawk, who I would also look around in the 11th round. Now you got two of the Dolphins wide receivers opting out. Albert Wilson was not going to be important anyways, but whatever.
1: <laughs> Albert Wilson <laughs> sacrificed himself for Gusecki. That's what it was.
0: He sacrificed himself in every team he's ever been on because he's never really been that relative.
1: Todd, don't hate on your boy. That's You're bitter there, Todd. <laughs>
0: Um, so, anyways, with those two wide receivers out, then the error of Tua starts. I mean, and Fitzpatrick actually throws the tight ends, which just doesn't hurt. But I like the idea of to pull Kasekii Tua piece. So I think I'm a little higher on Kasekii than I am with Hawk because I feel like with Kasekii he also had more production last year. But between those two, I'd be happy with either of them. It's all really based down to like what are the running backs or wide receivers are there. But I, those around round eleven, I'm targeting those two guys. Joni was another guy that I was high on, but most people are like Dave and they're insane about him. So I've seen him go as early as the 10th round. I think possibly even earlier once or twice. And I was like, what the hell is happening?
1: Yeah, I can't get him anywhere. I, the problem is these these tight end targets like this, they're tough to get.
0: Yeah, exactly. So another guy I like who I'm not picking his ADP, though, because we were saying, like, you know, top 12 off is no offense, like tight end 12. But um, if he's up to the 11th or later, that's not, he has some really juicy matchups in the beginning of the year. But I doubt that happens, So, but it's tasty if it does. I would say Hawk and Gusecki are my two guys I'd be targeting, but I do have some early season streamers in my mind. Those guys aren't there, but I do not trust Dave whatsoever with our draft like just a week away, so I'm going to hold on to those ones a little close to the chest for now. You definitely cannot trust a man who doesn't like condiments. So there's absolutely no possible way I'm going to share that information with the draft 20 a week away. See,
1: with Todd's performance recently in our redraft league, I haven't really, I, I don't, he can have my strategy. I'm not really worried about it, so.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I've, I'm a little more, I'm little pretty motivated this year. <laughs> I was pretty upset, pretty upset about last season. But yeah, no, I, um, I actually, so I will say what I did, though. So you guys can feel free to go ahead and do it. All I really did was I looked up just some subtractive schedule pieces, and I just matched the first four weeks. That's it. Who's Arizona playing? <laughs> Which is an improved defense, but if I'm weighing late and they gave up like 1,000 points to tight ends, not a bad way to go about a
2: late-round pick. So what about you, Sean? Yeah, I'm loving Jonu too. Um, you know, in this formula for finding, besides what Dave was saying about athletic freak and he's breaking these 50-yard runs, His situation also fits the profile. I know Dave was saying he didn't have the targets last year. He couldn't get the opportunities, but now Delaney Walker is gone. But worth noting is that this receiver group had some of the lowest utilization out of any team in the league. They're playing with a quarterback who was historically good, which means he outkicked his coverage by a historical amount. There's no way Tannehill comes out and repeats. There's no way they start throwing the ball to Derrick Henry. They've got to throw it to somebody, and A.J. Brown can only do so much. There are no other receivers on that team. There's plenty of room for Smith to step up and try and capitalize on that. But like Dave said, that's tough to get. Everyone else is aware of that too, and I think you can start diving a little deeper and find that same formula of these teams that don't have a widespread of targets going to a lot of receivers, these teams that don't utilize the running backs out of the backfields. Some of the guys I'm liking a lot is Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle. They're both free. They are not by a mile the most talented guys, but they should have a lot of red zone usage. You know, who knows? Fresh quarterback. Everybody's even coming in an indie. Who's to say that Jack Doyle can't be the reliable red zone target? That's a team two years ago it was Eric Ebron racked up 13 touchdowns in just like an unconscionable season. So that's a good one. I think one of my favorite moves, too, that I've been doing in a lot of drafts and back end of mocks is with the last two picks, where you're just taking dark throws anyway, is taking both Greg Olson and Will Disley and trying to beat everybody else to the punch because that's a team that fits that same model, too. Yes, there's Tyler Lockett. Yes, there's DK Metcalf, and they both saw over 100 targets last year. But nobody else saw any worth noting amount of targets. Jacob Hollister was the third most targeted person on that team. I honestly can't even tell you if he's on the team right now, because he's so inconsequential, they don't throw to the running backs. And if they're really going to start letting Russ cook the way they've been saying all off season, that tight end position out there can yield great results. And especially like Todd said, they play Arizona twice and you can never go wrong playing the Cardinals (laughs) twice. That's fair. So yeah. So that actually brings
0: up an interesting question. So I actually really like Ebron and Doyle this year, but to be honest with you, they're not guys I'm targeting in the early part of the year. So they would kind of become stashes, like guys that I feel that could be good throughout the year. In a one tight end league, are you guys rostering two tight ends? No. Like, what if you're just trying to stream a guy and then you're trying to stash a guy? Would you even see that happening in your roster
2: construction? No, I would rather risk losing my stash guy because my stash guy is probably only a stash guy. If that's my theory of how I'm going into it is I'm trying to play strength of schedule and things like that. My stash guy is probably only a stash guy for like weeks four through seven. Yeah. And I'd rather roster one and risk not having that guy through four through seven and, you know, pick up somebody else in eight through the end of the season. Dave, what about you? If
1: I'm having the draft of my life and I'm hitting every target, I really like my build. And I see if I could then just go back to back John Ungeheki something like that. I- I'm I'm all I- I'll do it. Very it's very unlikely that I'm I'm having the draft of my life. You guys have played with me, so you know what that's like.
0: Yeah, you're freaking out at some point. <laughs> so-
1: <laughs> <laughs> if I can really swing it, and I have I have no problem doing that with late round tight ends. It's just not a it's not the greatest play. The idea of you want to pick your tight end and stick it and that's where the value is. Or you pick up a streamer, and then he sticks. Not not hedging your bets. When you hedge your bets in fantasy, that's never the best play, in my opinion.
0: The Colts' first four games are the Jaguars away, home against Minnesota, Jets at home, and the Bears away. That's actually not terrible. That's pretty and good. And then you have... Yeah, that's pretty good. I had that wrong in my head, so that's, I, I take that back. You might be somebody worth targeting. For Ebron, so Pittsburgh has... They're at the Giants. They're home versus Denver, they're home versus Houston, which actually gave up a lot of points to tight ends. And then they are away at Tennessee. I think that Doyle probably comes off stronger there. So I like those two guys. I think that's the problem with those guys where you start looking at them like for a full season. Like they're not gonna stay in your team. I always try to like when I look at my tight end position, I'm looking at a guy in the first four weeks. I there there is a point where I would stash a tight end, two tight ends, and that's probably around like week ten or week eleven when I start getting into playoffs and I start looking at playoff matchups and the juiciest playoff matchups is when we're going to see Gerald Everett win some people some leagues so that's that's when that's going to come down for you Dave so the bonus list is there anybody you guys feel is worth watching like adding to a watch list or you're assuming like you went late tight end it's more like somebody that you might be like streaming at some point but you want to keep your eye on so when I look at this like I'm going to keep my streaming options to myself, like I said. These are more, for me, would be like stashes or deep sleepers rather than streams. So Dave already mentioned before, and Irv Smith Jr. is my stash. By no means he a slam dunk because Kyle Rudolph still exists. And if you were a fan of the show last year, I was a truther. Finished at the tight end 14 when he was essentially free. That's not bad.
1: He had a good stretch with those the touchdowns. He had a really good stretch there.
0: Yeah, and that's how I kind of play tight ends. To me, it's like, like who has a chance to score a touchdown? Like, it's a boom-bust position. If I'm looking for a guy to get steady catches, like, it doesn't really exist very much at the tight end position. So, yeah, so, you know, Rudolph signed through 2024, but I just think that Smith's too good to to just not see the field. So, Smith finished with 47 targets, which is only one less than Rudolph last year. That's a solid amount of targets as a backup tight end in your rookie season. He's got good hands. He runs solid routes. He's a very athletic for his size. But what makes Smith see the field is actually his run blocking ability is going to force him onto the field. He's a very good blocker. So they spent second round capital on the guy, and he played well. And with their wide receiver situation not too deep there, you know you might be able to see a lot of like 12 personnel possibly this season. So he's the 23rd tight end in ADP right now going off in the late 15th round if you wait on tight end and you know i still don't think investing in two is a terrible idea if you want to stash somebody this would be an example of a guy i would take as my second tight end on my roster i would absolutely stash a smith i wouldn't stash a vet i would stash a guy that i feel has an upside you know and i would go with my streamer for the beginning part of it so that's my guy i'm targeting which would be irv smith this should be interesting next week dave so (laughs) <laughs> Sean, what about you, buddy?
2: Yeah, for me it's all about trying to find kind of that sweet spot in that formula that I was talking about before with identifying those teams that have a lack of depth at wide receiver, teams that don't target the running back at all out of the backfield, or some kind of crisscross between the two, like you have in Tennessee. So for me, some guys that that check those boxes are Jay Sternberger out in Green Bay. You know, they they had opportunity to go chase Austin Hooper to bring somebody else in. They didn't. But more notably, they didn't even really attempt to go get another wide receiver to back up Devontae Adams. So I think there's opportunity there for Sternberger to step in. Another great one is Chris Herndon. You know, his rookie year was looking great. He was outpacing other rookie tight ends from that year. You know, he had the drinking issue and then he was hurt last year. So that really knocks his value down. If he can stay on the field, he can be great. Really, because... Sean, the the succubus, huh? Yeah, because you know what? If the succubus is going to ruin Sam Darnold, like he has and probably will continue to, who does that mean Sam Darnold needs to throw to? The safety valve tight ends. I was on the belly up fantasy pot, a
1: belly up fantasy stream with a couple of weeks ago, and Detroit Beastie was a guest. He he does a lot. He does like fantasy hockey, baseball, and he does DFS, but he has a pretty good following. And he, he heard Succubus, and he's been tweeting me like re- two or three times since then, talking about how he just cannot get the Amazing. fantasy Succubus That's out of his awesome. mind. Because since then, they've signed Chris Hogan. They just yeah. traded for Kalen Bellage. It's, it's just perfect. And then he's talking about how he doesn't think that, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell needs a ton of work.
2: Oh, I saw that today. That was just ridiculous.
1: It's been perfect how that... Ter- so that term's catching, man.
2: Let's go. You heard it I like first. it. From the walrus. From the walrus. So Herndon has the skill. He has the athleticism. He can be that safety valve because what, what do they got? They got Crowder and they got Mims. Mims has been hurt. He's in a truncated preseason. I think Mims is great, but the odds aren't great for him to have some kind of big explosive rookie season. And they're going to throw the ball 600 times in New York. Which means somebody needs to catch it probably at least 375 times. Chris Herndon's gonna be there. And if Chris Herndon can't go, Ryan Griffin isn't a bad look and a pinch if you're in a stream situation halfway down the season. He was great in relief of Herndon last year. He was fine when he was in Houston. But I think one of the bigger ones too is Will or Ian Thomas. You know, he's down in Carolina, Greg Olsen's gone. He was pretty good in relief of Olsen over the last two seasons. He's got a new quarterback coming in, which means a fresh start. They don't have the most reliable wide receiver core. You know, DJ Moore is obviously the toast of the town right now in the fantasy community. But behind that, you've got Curtis Samuel, who's kind of like a post-hype sleeper right now. So who knows if he'll deliver. Robbie Anderson, who I've never really been too sold on. But I think the door is there for Thomas to walk through. You know, he's at that Neo Morpheus moment where Teddy Bridgewater is like welcoming into the room. And Ian Thomas has to be the one to actually step through it. But I think, again, we're talking about guys that you're just going to keep an eye on because nobody's drafting. And I think Ian Thomas could be, he won't be the Mark Andrews of last year where he wins you the season, but he could win you that one week that gets you into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, an FF toolbox, Carolina has the the weakest schedule for tight ends. So like he's going to feel, he's going to have the best odds there too. Fantastic. Yeah, their defense is going to be garbage too. So <laughs> they're going to throw the ball a lot. I like Ian Thomas. That's another good one. That's one I probably should have said myself. I, I like that call, Sean.
1: What about you, Dave? I, I really agree with a lot what Sean said about Ian Thomas. And he went two years ago when he got opportunity, he flashed. And he just didn't get opportunity last year. And like, what I mean didn't get opportunity, he got like zero opportunity last season. And Todd brought up a little bit about Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph... He's still there this year. People, this is what I talk about with dynasty. Is and I, and I don't discount looking into contracts and when people are going to be leaving and ascending players, but people look into it too much. Kyle Rudolph is still a good player. He can, he's a versatile tight end. He's going to have top twelve tight end weeks. so he's definitely a guy to have. Mm-hmm. Greg Olson is interesting with in, in Seattle, and also Eric Ebron, which we've already talked about. Those guys either because their their age, contract status. Or having burned people in years past, are influencing them and they're fading them a little bit too hard. And I wouldn't be shocked. Would you be shocked if one, if one, if one or two of these guys were top twelve tight ends last year? And like I mentioned earlier, Jason Witten was a top twelve tight end last year. It's not hard to do, guys. So I don't think it's shocking for me that, to to throw darts on these type of guys. Uh, they're not exciting, but you can pl- you can really play the matchup. But I probably they're not sticking on your roster for too long.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, like Rudolph, when he finished 14, I want to say like tight end 10 was like it was it was not a lot of points like 10 or like 12 or 13 points. Gentlemen, another good one. Another good time. Sean, I can't believe that we actually talked on Twitter this week. It was amazing. Yeah, I told you once a week, baby. You actually got up there. You got up to like three or four times in the same
2: day. It was impressive. It was impressive. It's been a slow go in quarantine, let me tell you. <laughs> Where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, you can find me over at FF underscore Walrus on Twitter. I almost forgot my own handle for a second. It's been a while since I've been in the mix. Um, but yeah, trying to trying to mix it up a little bit. The, uh, the wife walked in the other day and figured out that I listen to podcasts at two times speed. And I believe that she thinks I'm psychotic now after discovering that. You already were psychotic before that, but that just kind of adds evidence. I mean,
1: his that. lobster takes elevates into that level. So she agrees. I enjoyed Zach Reed giving you the lo- giving you crap for z- for your lobster take. I got
2: crap for the lobster take.
1: Oh yeah, you got you got retweeted Ooh, about how bad your your lobster take interesting.
2: was. Ooh, I, I like it. it. I hope it came with recipe suggestions. <laughs> he did. He talked about bisques. Oh, a bisque. Rattled off like ten count. things. No. Lobster no. bisque what is it phenomenal. Count. It's cream and
0: lobster. It's delicious. It's one of the greatest soups ever made.
2: You know what cream is? Cream is the same dairy product that butter is. You're just taking buttered lobster and putting it amongst broth.
1: Thanks for the uh, this the cooking lesson, Sean. You're, I appreciate you're that.
2: Dave. <laughs> well, you seem a little tentative on trying to figure out what's a condiment and a side dish, so it's <laughs> amazing. Sean, are you writing anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not really sure at this point, to be honest with you. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> Dave, where can they find you, man? All right.
1: I have to, sorry, I'm not ready for it. Um, you can find me at FF underscore spaceman, Dave Wright. I'm a writer for Dynasty Happy Hour. And I just released a a piece that I'm really excited about. I hinted at it last week. But it's uh, the anatomy of a non-breakout wide receiver. And I definitely it's a free article. People should definitely check it out. And the idea the concept behind it is, is that everyone probably knows by now that I'm obsessed with breakout age and it's importance for wide receiver scouting. But people who argue against breakout age, they always bring up, well, the, the outlier, the guys who didn't break out and who were good, like uh, Tyree Kill or Wes Welker. And so what I did is I took the hundred and, I think it's 103 sample size and I broke down non-breakout wide receivers by their draft capital, their age, when they started producing in college, their speed, all kinds of different variables. And I and I grouped it all together about and categorized them about traits that they have in similar and that they don't have and what successful non-breakout wide receivers have similar. And I thought it was a really interesting piece and I got a lot of great feedback on it. So definitely check that out. The Anatomy of a Non-Breakout Wide Receiver. And also too, Sean didn't mention this, but Sean's been releasing some video or some like clips from the show. And that's been, we've been getting a lot of good feedback from that. I think people are really enjoying that. So check out our Twitter feed, add a tale to rivals for video, small video clips for review of the episode each week. And Sean's done some really good ones so far.
0: Yeah. Kyra Murray is not going to be MVP this year on that. You can find me at FF underscore on Twitter. I will get in there and get some banter going with you on no matter what it is. Dynasty, Devi, hoops, whatever. I'm in. I'm also writing for the Dynasty Football Digest, and I will be starting uh, a new series called Devi Diamonds that's going to be talking about the elite Devi talent. Even if you don't play Devi, this is a good way to look into your 2021 or even 2022 rookie drafts. Never too soon to stock up on picks that are pretty cheap at this point. Uh, I'm also going to be doing some Devi darts, which is going to be some more guys you uh, would be more like long shots or maybe some underrated players. And I'll probably do some things and some guys in between. But I'm really excited about that. And that should be coming out soon. I think we're going to go watch a John Hughes
2: movie and go chill now. Todd, before you do, I have some bad news for you, buddy. The Todd Foster voicemail is dead. <laughs> Oh, it's finally gone? There's no more. What What happened? I've been applying for other jobs, so I didn't really think that having that just casually thrown into my voicemail was the best approach for getting a callback. Well, what you should have done is you should have just, this
0: is Sean Kennedy. We have a message endorsed by Todd Foster. Hmm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like have Todd impersonate you as, for your, like your voice <laughs> Yeah. Oh, by the way, my wife listened to that, and she almost fell out of her chair laughing at it. She thought it was spot on. She absolutely loved it.
0: Thank you, Katie. Thank you. I tried so hard, dude. Yeah. I practiced. She was impressed. <laughs> by practice, I gave, I, I gave one dry run. I said, eh, good enough. So, but yeah. Did I actually sign us off? Or like? No. Did that actually happen? Okay. Yeah. Until next. That's
1: good. Let's leave it there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good times. I'm sorry, man, but Dallas Goddard, man, he's a beast.
2: You gotta respect him. I think you're respecting him too much, Todd. I'm not out on him by any means, but I don't think he's supplanting Ertz. It's gonna happen at some point.
0: It's either Ertz is gonna maybe in
1: 2030. All right. End the con- End the, the the podcast, and we'll talk about it. <laughs>